0: you will turn in your Bibles to the 12th chapter, the book of Daniel, as we continue our study through the Word. So we come to just the final chapter of this amazing book, the book of uh, Daniel, and, and it is so faith-building to see the way in which God has declared the end from the beginning in Isaiah 46, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And... And so the first six chapters, we really saw the chronology of the life of Daniel. And then in the final six chapters, we have seen the incredible prophetic visions that God has given to Daniel, showing the end times, showing the things that are going to be. And you'll remember that the final three chapters are uh, are all one prophecy, one vision that was given to Daniel. Back in chapter 10, we see that it begins where he is by the river and the man, linen comes to him and drops him on his face and you'll remember that it had started with Daniel now praying and fasting for 21 days before the, the this moment when Gabriel finally gets to him and tells him how he was hung up with the Prince of Persia when the minute that he started praying but yet Michael the Archangel came and broke him free and he has come now to give him this vision and, and so in chapter 11 last time we saw was such a history lesson. What a history lesson chapter 11 was and, and it's an amazing, thank you for coming out tonight after chapter you know, 11 but chapter 11 is so powerful so rich. It's one of those chapters where the fruit isn't just hanging on the low boughs. It's a chapter that you have to do some digging. You have to want to go in and pursue that. But if you dig a little tiny bit into it, if, if you go into the history books and just look at Alexander the Great, and then after he dies, the four generals, and, and we see that this was the concentration of the, uh, of the two generals, of Ptolemy and the Seleucids. And if you just follow out the history of those two, because these were the, the, the two generals that were fighting, and Israel is the land bridge, so they keep crossing over this land bridge to fight each other. And you see the incredible detail uh, of all of that that was laid uh, out Far in in advance this. Daniel is just recording these things. We had, you know, talked last time about uh, how there are a hundred and thirty-five specific prophecies just in chapter 11 from the history books that that you will see as you move through but we see that chapter 11 kind of jumps through the history and then lands you'll remember on Antiochus Epiphanes the the fourth and and he is really that antichrist that typology of the antichrist and we started to see the, the prophecies about him and the things that are going to transpire. And then all of a sudden it telescopes to the actual Antichrist and to the end times and to the time of the tribulation. And, and that is where we pick it up here now. And it is going to go from the tribulation to the return of Jesus Christ, to the setting up of the glorious kingdom of God in the book of Daniel is going to end. And what an amazing, amazing final chapter that we have got in front of you. Don't be deceived. It may be short, but it's powerful. It is a powerful chapter. So uh, let's jump in here. Verse 1, it says, At that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And so we see the opening words of this chapter begins with, you know, at that time, and so We saw that the closing verses now in chapter 11 deal with the Antichrist, where chapter 11 telescoped from Antiochus Epiphanes now to the tribulation and to the Antichrist and to the exploits of the Antichrist as both a political and a military leader. If you look back to chapter 11, beginning in verse 40, And it says, and at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. And so you have got the Antichrist, and there is going to be this attack that's going to come from the south. So that's Egypt in that area there. So the Antichrist is going to take over the world, and then there are going to be monstrous battles that the Antichrist is going to fight. He begins with, as a man of peace, but then once he takes over, he is going to dominate, and then there are going to be the rebellions uh, against him, and he is just going to come in and, and conquer. And so he is going to come out of the revived Roman Empire. That's where his strength is going to Come from. And so there is going to be a a rebellion. There is going to be trouble in the south. And he is going to come down and he is going to battle in the south. And then there is going to be trouble from the north. And he is going to go and he's going to subdue both of those. And we see here that it says that at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen with many ships and so this could be uh, Russia and that area that's uh, uh, to the north of, of where the revived Roman Empire would be and and so they are going to come with chariots and horsemen with many ships and shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. And he shall also enter the glorious land. So he now, we see him as a military conqueror after he has risen to power through diplomacy, much in the same way of Hitler. We see that Hitler rose as a politician, Hitler was uh, elected and and he did it as a statesman but once he took over in power then you saw him turn into a war machine and try and conquer the world. Well, the antichrist is going to follow that same type of uh, a pattern and And so, hey, here are some of the battles that are going to take place as he rises now militarily over the entire world. There's going to be some battles to the south. There's going to be battles to the north. But he's going to subdue all of that, and he shall also enter the glorious land. That's Israel. And many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom and Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. And he shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. <laughs> now, it's interesting that Edom and Moab, they, they are not going to end up coming underneath the, the power uh, of the Antichrist. And, and so it's interesting because over in Jordan, what is Jordan today is The the city that's known as Petra and Petra is this amazing rock city and this is uh, a place that when the abomination of desolation takes place it says that the people of Israel are to flee and that God then is going to protect them and watch over them and fight for them and so interesting that here that Edom and Moab are Jordan and so this is the territory now that ties into the fulfillment of the prophecy that will take place when the abomination of desolation takes place. now, it says he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. Also, the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So now he has conquered North Africa, Ethiopia, Libya, and Egypt. Now he has the treasures from them, it says. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. And therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many, and he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. So, between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, and that is Jerusalem. So, in an imitation of Christ, who will rule and reign from Jerusalem, the Antichrist is going to set up and run his campaign from Jerusalem here at as well, And it says that he shall plant the tents between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. And so the kings of the east are going to draw into the battle of Armageddon, and the Lord is going to return, and ultimately he is going to be destroyed there at the battle of Armageddon. So, Here in this 12th chapter, it says that at that time, Michael shall stand up. So during this period of time that we're talking about, the period of the tribulation, the period of the Antichrist rise, that Michael is going to stand up. Now, The angels have different ranks and powers and authorities, and there are angels that are known as cherubim, and they surround the throne of God, they worship God. Satan was one of those angels. Satan was one of the cherubim, and so they seem to be angels of a higher rank and of a higher authority, and so... You'll remember how the, uh, Michael comes and helps Gabriel. And so uh, here he is called the great prince. We see that he's called an archangel in the book of Jude. And uh, we see that he is the only one that we know of that's actually referred to as an archangel. Some think that Gabriel perhaps also is an archangel, but uh, we don't know that. We know that the, from the Apocrypha, which isn't scripture, but we see that there are supposedly seven archangels that are listed uh, there, But here what we do know is that Michael is one of the chief princes. Now, we're told in the book of Jude how Michael and Satan dispute over Moses' body. You'll remember how Moses is taken up on Mount Nebo, and uh, and so he is buried there. And uh, and so we see that Satan is uh, not the opposite of Jesus. He's the opposite of Michael, this high-ranking angel. And so we find these two and constant uh, contention with uh, one another. We're told in Revelation chapter 12 that there is going to be the war uh, in heaven when Satan is kicked out of, of heaven and no longer has access to heaven. We see that Michael and his angels are going to fight against Satan has, and, and his angels and in that conflict we see that Michael comes forth uh, victorious and, and, and Satan is cast down sealed out of heaven. Now he doesn't have access in, anymore. And once that happens, it says that he now takes his wrath and he points it towards God's people. And so these are the things that are going to take place. It says that the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And so it appears that God has assigned uh, this special protection. Michael is the special protection over uh, Israel as his covenant nation. And so it says that there will be a time of trouble. And so this refers now to the time of persecution for Israel and the period that is known as the Great Tribulation. Now, we see that there is that one seven-year period, going back to Daniel chapter 9 and the prophecy of the final 70 weeks for history of the world, that there is the 69 weeks until the coming of the Messiah and the cutting off. And then there's that final week, that 70th week that is yet future, separated there. And so uh, we see that that is that final seven-year period, and the tribulation period is seven years, but the great tribulation is the second half of that. It's the final three-and-a-half years of that seven-year period. And so uh, after three-and-a-half years, we are going to see the Antichrist. That is when he is going to come into Jerusalem, what we are talking about here. He's going to come to the rebuilt temple. He's going to stand in the temple and declare that he is God. He's going to demand to be worshipped as God. And so we see a a one-world religion. We see a a one-world government, a one-world religion. These are the things that the world is marching towards and the Antichrist is, is going to be the one that is going to, unite these things. There's going to be a one world economic system that is going to be tied together. There'll be the mark of the beast that will take place that no one can buy or sell unless they're a part of this one world economic system that is going to take place. And so the economic, the political, and then ultimately the religious system. He is going to declare that he's God And he is going to demand that everybody worship him as God. Now, we think about that and we say, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, I mean, like a person's going to stand up and say they're God. Well, let's go back to the Roman Empire and and let's look at the the Caesars and and how there was the Caesar worship and there were the temples and they worship Caesar as God. Uh, And so we see that that this is just going to come full cycle, it's just going to come full circle. And so he now is going to declare that he's God. and require everybody. And and this starts now, this great tribulation period. We see that it says that there's going to be a time of trouble such as never was <laughs> since there ever was a nation and, and ever is going to be again. Now, you remember Jesus in the Olivet Discourse. Remember he walks by the temple. He leaves the temple for the last time during Holy Week, departs and sits in the Mount of Olives and The disciples are saying, wow, temple is so amazing. He says not one stone is going to remain upon another stone and all of this is going to be thrown down. And we see that Jesus talks about this great tribulation and says that there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world. And Jesus said that there would be a tremendous loss of life during this terrible period. I mean, catastrophic loss of life, unimaginable. In fact, if those days were not cut short. It says no one would even be able to survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days are going to be shortened. This period, this great tribulation, this final three-and-a-half-year period where uh, the Antichrist is out of control, uh, we see that this is the time that's known as Jacob's trouble. Jacob is a reference to the nation of Israel. It's a time that uh, that the Jews are going to be in great trouble. And so there is going to be a persecution against the Jews that is going to take place. In Jeremiah chapter 30, alas, for that day is great so that none is like it and it is the time of jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it israel is going to be here during the great tribulation now the church it's gone it has been raptured while the tribulation is going on down here you can learn everything you want about it now Because you're not going to be here for it. (laughs) You're going to be at a feast. Uh, Jesus says that he's not going to drink the cup of the wine until he drinks it again. New in my Father's kingdom. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that's where we're going to be, and we are going to be celebrating at the marriage the supper. But while we're up there celebrating, they are not going to be celebrating down here. This is the time of Jacob's trouble, and so Christ comes and pulls his bride out, and then judgment is going to come upon the earth. And so there's going to be the trumpets, the seals, and the bowls that uh, are all described in the book of Revelation and the Jewish people, they're going to be the targets of the full fury of the devil and the Antichrist. Now, when the Antichrist gets kicked out of heaven, we see that now he turns and he seeks to absolutely destroy the Jews. Now, we have seen the satanic persecution against the Jews throughout history and it is going to continue because It is, anti-Semitism is satanically rooted. It, It is a satanic hatred against God's people. And we see in Revelation chapter 12, it says, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, this is he fights with Michael and the archangels, and now he loses that fight. Heaven is sealed up against him and he is cast out. He no longer has access. It says, when the dragon saw that he had been cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now, the male child is Jesus. And so, what nation gave birth to Jesus? Israel is the nation. Israel is the woman that gave birth to the child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the three and a half years. Jesus says that when you see the abomination that causes of desolation, flee instantly, immediately. Don't even go back to your houses. Get out. Because this now, the persecution is going to come directly against the Jews from that moment forwards by the Antichrist. And so it says, so the serpent spewed out water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. So we see that it is most likely, I'm going to say most likely or possibly. So take your pick, possibly or most. Tetra uh, is right there, this city that's in the rocks. And and it is these canyons and, and all. And so uh, Satan is going to try and destroy him with this flash flood, with this water that's going to come blasting through there and try and just wipe out all of the Jews that have now uh, escaped uh, there. And, and it says that uh, the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood but the earth Helped the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So, uh, how awesome would that that is going to be! You know, there's this incredible flood, and all of a sudden the earth is going to open up its mouth, you know, drink it up, to, and then I think there's a burp, you know, uh, afterwards. I'm not sure about that, but in my mind, that's what happens. You know, and and that just ends it. There, there it is. He protects. He protects his own people. You know, look at them the same way in which stand back and watch the salvation of the Lord. When Pharaoh's army is coming down on the Israelites, they're backed up to the Red Sea. And unless God intervenes, they're done. They they are wiped out. And here is this flood coming down upon them. And unless God intervenes on that, they're done. But God does intervene, and God does rescue them, and God does protect them. And so it says, and the dragon was enraged with the woman. He he wants to get at them, but God has put a hedge around them. And so we see that that hedge, that same hedge, is a hedge that's around you. That hedge of protection that Satan wants to destroy. Every single person that loves God, Satan wants to destroy him. See, the reason is easy. When you hate somebody and you can't touch them, then go after their kids. And you will hurt them by hurting their kids. Satan can't touch God, so you know what he does? He goes after who God loves, and God loves you. And so Satan is trying to hurt you and wound you and crush you and maim you and steal, lie, and destroy your life. Why? Because of his hatred for God. It's not against you personal. <laughs> He's just using you to get out of God. But here's what God says. I put a hedge around you. <laughs> I got a hedge around my my kids. My kids are on the playground, but they're underneath my watchful uh, eye. Uh, And so here we see that now he's going full force after God's people, but God is standing up full force and and deflecting. And it says that he is outraged. He was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war, listen, with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who's that? That's us now. Now we're we're the grafted in uh, olive tree there, but that's not you because where are you? You're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, so these are the tribulation saints now that have become Christians uh, after the church has been raptured, and so Satan is going to go and persecute the Jews. And then he's going to go after the uh, the Christians uh, as well. And so this is going to be a, a time of unprecedented distress in, in the nation of Israel. And so Satan's attack against the people of the kingdom is going to be part of his effort to prevent the return in the reign of Christ. And so you remember how when Herod found out that there was a king that was born. What does he do? He goes and slaughters all of the babies. Well, he was trying to prevent the the birth of christ he's trying to prevent the rule and reign of christ he's trying to prevent the return of christ and so uh, this is where the persecution against the the nation of israel uh, has come from you remember that you know through adam's seed and through david's seed the messiah was going to come and and you remember in the story of esther how satan inspired haman to now have have an edict written that would destroy every single Jew uh, on the face of the earth. There's never been such a, a hatred for any one people that, that we the world has ever seen and that's because it is satanic and so uh, we see here that, uh, that God is going to defend and, and so Israel is going to go through the tribulation but they are going to be protected uh, by the hand and it says that everyone who is found written in the book and and so in Revelation chapter 20, we see that, uh, that there is going to be the dead, small and great, who are going to come out of their graves, and death and hell is going to give up the dead which are in them, and they shall stand before God, that the books, plural, are going to be open. And people will be judged out of the things that are written in the books, the record of your life, the record of your misdeeds, the record of all of your sins. What an ugly book, huh? You know, we have photo albums that capture every one of your good moments. <laughs> this is the anti photo album. You know, this is you at your worst. Every single mistake, every lie, every sin, every failure that you have ever committed, every single time you have broken any of the commandments of God, we see that this is recorded. And then we see that they are going to stand and have to stand before God. But the glorious thing is is that the blood of Jesus Christ washes out every single one of those uh, those sins and stains against you. So when they open up the book next to your name, there's no sins. There's none. They have all been washed away by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's not that there weren't any but that they've been washed away, they have been erased. And so that other book is gonna be opened, which is the book of life, and whoever's name is not found in the book of life, they are gonna be separated from God. Revelation 20, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse 2 And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so some are going to rise to everlasting life. Jesus is the first fruit of those who rise uh, from the dead. And so we're living in the period of the first resurrection. And so the first resurrection began with the resurrection of uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, we see that uh, it is going to end after the martyred saints that were martyred for Christ during the tribulation uh, rise and join and take part uh, with the saints that are in heaven, and that will conclude the first uh, resurrection. And then there is going to be the second resurrection. And the resurrection, the second resurrection uh, now, is the one that we find in in Revelation chapter 20. That's not going to take place until after the millennial reign of Christ, so after the thousand years. But the rest of the dead... Did not live again until the thousand years were finished. And so uh, this is the first resurrection. Uh, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. And so the martyred saints and believers were all part of that first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so some to everlasting life, it says, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so we see that the wicked that are dead are not going to rise again until after the millennial reign of Christ, after the second coming, after the thousand years, and then that is when the resurrection and the great white throne of judgment of the wicked. Now, verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so those are who are wise, who are the wise? The wise are those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, who put their trust in the Messiah, even though it will result in persecution and suffering. They are still considered the wise. And they're going to shine. They're going to be glorified in the kingdom. Uh, they're going to shine like the brightness of, uh, of heaven. And so uh, it also says, and those who turn many to righteousness are going to shine like the stars forever and ever. And so uh, helping those who help others to see the light, those who help others to enter into the kingdom, those who witness and share the love of God, those who are willing to go tell people that God loves you and that he's made a way for you through Jesus Christ, and and those who are willing to put themselves uh, out there to build the kingdom of God and to declare the truth of God's kingdom. And so God wants us to shine, amen? Jesus said, let your light shine, Before men, let it shine before men, that a light wasn't meant to be put underneath a a basket, but to be set up so that uh, it can be seen by all. And so the exhortation that you have only one life and, and each day is an opportunity to be able to let the light shine out of you for God's glory and for God's kingdom. And so we want to do everything that we can to be found wise, to be found uh, as those who turn many to righteousness. I want to turn many to righteousness. You want to turn many to righteousness, amen? Don't we want to see many come? Don't we wish that everybody would get saved? Don't we wish that everybody would recognize how much God loves them and wash them and cleanse them and set them free and deliver them from bondage and addiction and let them experience and enjoy the goodness and the grace and and the love of God. And so, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Now, Daniel, the vision that I've given you I want you to shut it up. I want you to seal it. Now, back then, important documents such as contracts and, and promissory notes and deeds, they they were written out and they were duplicate. There was a duplicate. And then they would take one of those copies and they would seal them and put an official seal on it and keep it. And, and now that is sealed up. And so... Daniel, these prophecies, these visions that I've shown you, that I've given to you now, I want you to put a seal on them. I want you to have them to be safe. They're not for now, they're for the time of the end. Now, notice that it doesn't say it's to be sealed forever. It's to be sealed for a certain length of time, until the end times, until the time that these things are going to take place. Uh, And so we see that as we're looking at that, we recognize it says that it's going to be sealed until the time of the end. It means that they're not going to be able to understand it until the time of the end. Now, when Daniel's writing these about the Ptolemies and the Seleucids and looking at the the kingdoms that are going to rise up. He doesn't have any idea what he's writing. He's just writing exactly as the Holy Spirit tells him. But as we look back now, as these things happen and we're in the end times, they completely make sense to us. We're, We're looking back at them and we have complete understanding of these things. What was completely shrouded in mystery, just sealed, it's not for you to understand all of these things right now. Just record them. But in the end times, they're going to completely understand them. When you can pull out your history book and you can pull out chapter 11, you can completely understand now uh, what chapter 11 is uh, all about. So seal it up until the end times. Now, we're living in these uh, end times. And so the book of Daniel becomes extremely exciting because not only do we have the understanding of it, but we see that most of it has been fulfilled. And guess what? It goes from there to the future of where we are now seeing everything being set up for the fulfillment of what hasn't yet been fulfilled. And so uh, we see that it says that many are going to run to and fro and and knowledge shall increase. And many people see the fulfillment of this in, in transportation and information. They see the airlines and the way that we can fly now globally, we can run to and fro, mass transit, and the, and the ability to go back and forth, and, and, and in the explosion of, uh, of information, the explosion of information in my lifetime, the absolute explosion. When I was in high school, there, there was a, th- this thing called a computer club. The, we didn't even know what a computer was uh, uh, back then, and it was the very first IBM had had some of these uh, the these the very first computers, and just learning slightly about them, and, and and we have seen that you know from the birth, you know back then to to the incredible computing power now and, and what that has done. And you know, remember how we put a man on the moon. And, and today they're, they're saying something like the computing power in a cell phone <laughs> is equivalent of what the room full of computers back then was used to put uh, somebody onto the moon. And we see the doubling of knowledge that has taken place. I want you to imagine all the information that the world had ever accumulated, all of the science, all of the math, all of the astronomy, all, all of the knowledge that had been accumulated up until 1960 was doubled by 1970. So in one decade the amount of knowledge was mm, doubled. And and we see that uh, now, uh, in the 10 years' time, and and now with the computers, with the supercomputers, knowledge is increasing, not just doubling in 10 years. Now it's on an exponential rise. And now we have artificial intelligence. And and now, you know, we have got uh, chat.openai.com, which is artificial intelligence, If you don't know about this, you can go on the Internet. It's a big debate going on in college now and education and and how to use this. But we have the Internet. And on the Internet, you know that you can just go and and research anything. What they've done is they've built an artificial intelligence computer that now will go and search all of the Internet for any question that you ask it. And we'll do all the research and then write you uh, a paper on anything that you want to know. You can just go ask it and type it in. And, and now, you know, there's teachers' big debate in the education world is whether or not the students are allowed to, to write this. Now, it will generate a different report every single time. So the kids right now, when they turn in papers, the professors and colleges run them through to see whether or not these were plagiarized or not, and so they've got their computer models that they run them through and, and come back whether or not these kids actually wrote the paper or not. Well, with OpenChatAI.com, it, the computers can't catch it because it generates a new paper every single time. And uh, and so then there's some teachers that go, you know, this is kind of like the debate back when, you know, a long time ago, when, whether or not you can use a calculator, you know, in math class, you know, and, and it's like, you know, can you use, well, it's just a tool. Well, you're not always going to have a calculator, but uh, look, you're trying to have them solve equations. So the calculator isn't the issue. And so that whole question, you know, of, is it a tool? Okay. Or, you know, is it replacing thinking power and brain power? And so this is a big issue that, that is going on. There's some instructors that say, use it. Uh, and, you know, you still have to edit it and kind of, you know, work some of the parts and, and go through and learn how to use it as a tool. Cause you'll have that tool, you know, the rest of your life. There's Articles all over whether or not it's actual intelligence or not, but artificial intelligence and now what happens when the computers become smarter than people and what are going to be the limitations on this and the moral boundaries of these things. And so suddenly now we, I mean, we are being pressed artificial intelligence and, and the virtual world and the virtual web that they are now trying to build a one-to-one virtual world that you can exist. In. I mean, it is just mind-boggling where technology is uh, right now and the experience. Explosion of information. So some people see that that is, you know, the fulfillment of what Daniel is talking about. Here many shall run to and fro, mass transit, you know, and knowledge shall increase. But in context, that's not what Daniel's talking about. Okay, what he's talking about is the knowledge of the prophecy. When he says the knowledge shall increase, it's the knowledge of the prophecy that he was given is going to increase in the last days. Uh, and so we see that you know our knowledge of the book of Daniel continue to increase as we saw the fulfillment of the uh, prophecies, and and we see now that not only the past fulfillment, but yet those that are are yet to transpire. Verse 5, then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And so the, the Tigris River, that's where... Daniel was back at the beginning of this prophecy and he was with others and, and then they heard but they ran away and fled and, and Daniel was left there at the Tigris uh, River and, uh, and so these two angels are standing on each side of the Tigris River and they're listening, they're personally interested in the coming events of, of God's program uh, of redemption. Now, the angels do not understand God's plan of redemption. We see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, which things which angels desire to look into. And so 1 Peter implies that the even the angels are not fully informed as to how the prophetic promises of God are all going to work out. In the same way that we see the prophetic, but we don't understand how this is all going to happen. We don't understand when this is going to happen. We know that we're looking for the Antichrist, but who is he? Where is he? And when is he going to show up? And and we don't know. And, and if you if you meet an angel and you ask the angel, they probably won't know either. So, you know, unless God has sent them with a message and specific, knowledge about it they, they're observers and watching their instruments and they are God's instruments to, uh, to help uh, here upon this earth but they, they look but they do not understand and so they're talking how long shall the fulfillment of, uh, of these wonders be and, uh, and so we see until you know, the literal translation of that is until when is the end of these marvels And then I I heard the man clothed in linen. So this goes back to, uh, to now the original angel that was talking to him, probably Gabriel, who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. And so we see the man in linen Back at the beginning, chapter 10, uh, he now gives a solemn oath. He lifts his uh, arms up. We see the angel now walks on water when he told the other angel that Daniel and these things, that these things would happen within a a three and one half year period of time. And so we see that he declares the events are gonna be fulfilled in that final three and a half year period. The, The final ruler Antichrist the final 7 year that final week that Daniel talked about uh, we see the first half is going to be a time of comparative peace for Israel there is probably going to be the the rebuilding of the temple during that time period they're going to enjoy the benefits they're going to make a covenant with the antichrist antichrist is going to broker a covenant for the nation of uh, Israel and the temple is going to be rebuilt and the sacrificial system is going to be reinstituted. And when we were over there uh, this time, my God was talking about. How the, there's the Temple Mount, and and there's the two mosques that are up there, and you know there's all the talk about whether or not you know to the north side of the Temple Mount there's room for the temple to be rebuilt there, and you know you could put a wall there, and the Temple Mount could be shared, but he was saying that the archaeologists said that there's archaeology uh, expedition that's going on right now in the old city, the city of David, so you have the Temple Mount and then the old city, the city of David sits down below the Temple Mount and they're saying that the foundations of the temple might actually be in the old city uh, in the old city of David and that that would allow them to build the temple below the Temple Mount uh, and all they would need now they wouldn't have to share the Temple Mount, they just need permission, political permission, to allow them to erect their own temple there. And so, very exciting what's going on over there. Is it actually, have they really found it? Is that going to come to pass? I can't tell you for sure, but there's certainly a lot of interesting conversations that are happening uh, over there right now with regards to uh, these matters. What do we know? We know for absolute certain that it's not going to happen until a peace treaty is signed, that a covenant is going to be signed. We know the temple is going to be rebuilt and we know that sacrifices are going to start uh, once again. I think that's going to be interesting. Just a side note. I wonder what Peta is going to do, you know, with the sacrificial system uh, once again instituted over in, in Jerusalem, and and what that will be like. But those are those are all issues that are going to get uh, ironed out and worked uh, through because the sacrifices are going to be once again transpiring and taking place and and so in the middle of that 70th week that is when the antichrist comes in he stops the worship he disperses the Jews and and those who 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 love the lord are going to flee and he's going to protect them there for a times, times and a half uh, time, uh, and so then, what is going to happen? Uh, we are going to see that the uh, that the Antichrist is going to have a a problem in the south. Uh, Egypt uh, and North Africa are going to rebel against this one-world leader. He's pushed things too far now, and, uh, and politically and economically, or whatever the the circumstances are going to be, and he's going to come down and he's going to fight against, put down the uh, the battle against the uh, Egypt that is going to take place there, uh, and we see that he is then going to uh, hear that there are trouble coming from the east Uh, and so the kings of the east are going to come. That could be India and China. uh, Could be uh, Russia accumulated together uh, with them. We see the Euphrates is going to be dried up. There is going to be a huge army that's going to be marched in. The Antichrist is going to be coming now from the south. He's going to be coming from uh, Egypt and so he is going to come and they're going to meet in tiny little Israel in the Jezreel Valley in a place that's known as Armageddon and this is now going to be that a final battle and it is during that battle that Jesus Christ himself is going to return. And so we see that when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, when he stops now the sacrifices and demands that they worship him, he says that all these things now are gonna be finished. And so at that time, the people of Israel are gonna flee. They're gonna look like they are completely crushed uh, as these things end, but it is at that time uh, that the Messiah, upon whom they have put their trust, uh, uh, that he is gonna to return to rescue them. It says in verse 8, and although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And so we see that he references Gabriel as my Lord. That word Lord means Sir. Uh, And so he is uh, asking, what is the outcome of all of these things going to be? In other words, is Israel, you know, is his country, is his people just going to be destroyed? What happens? after that and so he, he wanted to know about God's program for the nation of Israel past the tribulation period and so we see that there's little information in the scriptures about the uh, the Israel's role in the millennial uh, reign following the second coming uh, and so uh, here we see that uh, much of the prophecies that have been given through the prophets and more are going to be given through the prophets that come after Daniel, we see Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi uh, give more information about God's uh, prophetic plan for the nation of Israel uh, during the millennial reign. And so he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and, and sealed till the time of the end. More time, more more details are going to be revealed, but they're going to be revealed later, and Daniel has to be content with what God has has revealed up to this point he says many shall be purified made white and refined but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand but the wise shall understand and so many shall be purified many jews are going to turn to jesus jesus is the one who who spiritually purifies us but the wicked they're going to continue in their way and from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away verse 11 and the abomination of desolation is set up there shall be 1290 days now notice that 1260 days is the times, times, and half time. So here, all of a sudden, we have now 1,290 days. There's an extra 30 days. But notice what the marking point is. The marking point is from the time of the, the abomination of desolation is set up. Now, it's interesting because Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, marks the abomination that causes desolation. When you see the abomination which causes desolation, you are to flee. So this becomes a time marker. So uh, you mark yourself uh, out and uh, and we see that there is this extra 30 day um, period and so Uh, We have got the 1,260 until the return of Jesus Christ. And then we have an extra 30 days here. And so some suggest that the extra 30 days is going to be for the judgment uh, of the nations. So after Christ returns, there's going to be the judgment of the nations. And so that is going to take place during those 30 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes. Now listen to 1,335 days. So now we have the, the third number. We have 1,260, 1,290, and then we have 1,335. That's another 45 days uh, after the return of Christ. So we've got a, a 30-day period, then we've got another 15-day period after the 30-day period, after uh, the Lord returns. Blessed is the person who comes all the way through those 30 days and then those 15 days uh, after that. Uh, And so here we see that uh, that there are those that would say at 1,260, Jesus returns. At 1,290, Christ's official government now uh, has been set up with the judgment of uh, 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 of, 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 of the saints being installed, the tribulation saints and all. And then at the end of this 1,335 days, we have the nations are judged and the millennial kingdom now uh, officially begins. And so uh, here what it says is the believers who survive to that day and now enter in. Now there's going to be people who live through the tribulation period that don't get to enter into the millennial reign that never gave their life to the Lord. And so they, they didn't die through the judgments, but guess what? They don't get to enter in. And so there's going to be the the setting up, the judgment, and those. So the people that enter in, they're going to become citizens of the most wonderful society ever governed by none other than Jesus Christ himself. And, and, And what a glorious glorious time, the millennial kingdom uh, that we are going to experience, that we are going to experience together. And so I can't wait uh, for the millennial reign. It's going to be awesome. Verse 13, but you go your way till the end for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. And so uh, we see here that Daniel is going to and rest he's going to sleep he's going to die but he's going to be resurrected and he is going to receive his allotted inheritance in the millennial what an amazing life daniel led i mean we we see that he was faithful to god even in the face of great adversity we see that that daniel is a character in the scriptures, that is known for his unwavering faith. You you remember how he wouldn't partake of the delicacies of the kings; sets himself uh, aside from the table in the way that uh, that God blessed him. He stayed true to his relationship with God, and and he is known for his great wisdom. The way that God gave him the ability to. Uh, interpret dreams, and so his his wisdom allowed him to serve throughout. And Daniel is known as this incredible man of courage, known for the lion's den and and trusting in God wholeheartedly and completely. Being told he's not allowed to pray, and he prays, and he's willing to suffer the consequences. And and, and so you know, Daniel is remembered as a man of faith a man of wisdom, and a man of courage. And may we be men and women of great faith. May we be men and women of great faith in a culture that is sideways to, to what we believe and hold as, as truth. May our faith not waver one bit. May you hold on to the absolute certainty of God's word and the promises of God and in the knowledge that God loves you that God has a plan for your life, that God's plan for your life is infinitely better than any plan for your own life. And may we be men and women whose faith is strong. May we be men and women of wisdom, wisdom to navigate, when to speak, when not to speak, and that discernment that is so necessary to navigate successfully. And, And may we be courageous. May we not be afraid. May we know who stands with us, who stands for us, who is protecting us, and who is blessing us. And Jesus, over and over and over again, he said, fear not, don't be afraid, live your life, let your light shine. Build the kingdom of God. Enjoy all the blessings that I have given to you. And go and change the world. Amen? May we be the Daniels of this generation. No compromise. Daniel was no compromise. In a compromised world, Daniel was a man of no compromise. In a compromised world, may we be men and women with no compromise whatsoever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, for your truth. We ask that you would just bless us, go before us and help us to live our faith like Daniel in our generation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.